0: Hello and welcome to the Winging It podcast, episode 26, Instagram story questions answered. So yeah, previously, about a few months ago, um, I've done a few stories on my Instagram page, James Hammond Travel, if you're not following, um, where I ask uh, for you guys to send me questions in about travel and I will endeavour to answer them on a podcast or a live video. I haven't got round to the live video yet, I'm still trying to get into that space, so I thought I'd do a podcast episode on it... And I've got quite a few questions... Um... That we'll need answering... Um... Yeah I think we'll just kick off... Straight out... Out of the bat... Uh, I'm gonna say... I'm not gonna say who they're from... But I'm just gonna say what the questions are... And... My thoughts on them... As we go... So someone has asked... Um... Would you book accommodation in advance... Or find something when you arrive? Okay... I've done both... And they both have their merits... Um but it also depends what country you're going to. So let's say uh, you're going to Laos. Uh, Bear in mind, they have a curfew. Now, buses in Asia can be unpredictable. So in that instance, I would advise booking ahead. Um, We didn't do that. We arrived post-curfew. Nothing was open, and you had about 20 backpackers off the bus. It broke down, so it was late. Um, scrambling around, trying to hope someone opened the door to try and get uh, a bit of accommodation for the night, about half midnight, 1am. one, a- 1 a. M. Um, So yeah, we're kind of all running around town. And yeah, as I described previously in another episode, this little little guy popped his head around the door of this hotel and sort of waved us in and gave us a room for the night for $50. Four of us shared it um, and gave us some bread from the fridge. So in that instance, I learned, oh, okay, so you kind of need to do each country by its own merit. Um, in a sort of, like, Western country or a well-travelled country with no curfews, etc., I would book ahead, um, but maybe not, like, too many nights, just to be sure. Um, it kind of depends what traveller you are. I'm, you yeah, hence the podcast name, I'm winging it. So I would tend to maybe book one or two nights, um, because I would do a bit of research, um, on hostel, hostelworld or Booking.com, and then go there, analyze it, and then try and extend the nights. But you've got to be careful here because popular hostels across the world will be booked out. So if you're if you're willing to and intent on staying on at like, the best hostels with the best ratings and the most popular ones, yeah, you're gonna to have to book in advance, hundred percent. But if you're going to somewhere that maybe has quite a bit of space, you can probably analyze it a bit more. And see what the go is. So for example in, in Bangkok we booked I think two or three nights at D, Which at that point was one of the best rated hostels in Southeast Asia. And I think it still is. Um, but we obviously were planning to leave after three nights. But we stayed for seven nights. So we managed to wangle a few rooms. But I do remember us moving a room which can be a bit annoying. Um, but also don't forget if you book too far in advance. Let's say that you do... You do six nights. You might want to leave after three nights, but you're you're sort of locked into that six nights. So I'd always advise booking one or two nights and then reassessing it Um, because more than not, if you sort of speak to the staff and you're right, they'll probably try and find a way to keep you there. Um, So yeah, I mean, booking accommodation is is interesting. Um, Sometimes you have no choice um, because of the availability of different types of accommodations. So if you're going somewhere quite sparse, probably going to have to book in advance because there's nothing else available but big cities there's always going to be another hostel or low rate hotel or guest house down the road so I don't think that would be a problem booking that Um, yeah I don't think I've got any other stories of booking accommodation in advance Um, sometimes if you're this is kind of not accommodation but if you're on a road trip um, let's say you're in a camper van or in a car and driving around a country New Zealand for example you can book campsites in advance um, but I think you probably get away with not doing that and also it's so flexible there you could be like delayed by one hour somewhere or it could be like another town you're going to have to stay in so booking in advance on that sort of road trip type trip is not going to be any advantage to you I don't think um, because you don't know what town you're going to be arriving in you might stay somewhere for longer than you anticipated or you might go to a tourist attraction or a bit of nature that wasn't on the plan so uh, overall i think my answer to this question is depends what country you're in it's a bit on the fence here and also what type of trip you're doing but more than not i would book one or two nights because it gives you flexibility because you'd always give a chance to a city or a town or a little village like two nights probably wouldn't you um, if you had enough um, you'd leave after that if it's really extreme you can just cut your nights short. In places like Asia, it's not going to be a big expense if you want to go earlier, like $5. So um, bear that in mind, but if you, you know, go around Europe, it's going to cost you 30 to $40 a night. You've got to really plan well. So that's my answer to the first question about accommodation. Um, let's move on to the question number two. Is how do you get around somewhere if you don't speak the language? So I have pre-smartphone and post-smartphone so pre-smartphone I carried around a little uh, language book for the country if possible a little, little, tiny little guidebook with like odd words and phrases you can buy them really cheap um, for each country but the problem here is if you speak English you're probably going to get away with it in a lot of countries and um, I don't like relying on that because I think that's kind of a bit arrogant to say you can oh, I speak English and that'd be fine I've seen it with so many people trying to speak English and not one word of their language and just not get to what they needed to get to so um, yeah pre-app or smartphone I had basically the first proper trip I did in 2013 um, I think we just about got away with speaking English to our locals because it's international language so Um, if you're not from um, a native speaking country like for English so I don't know Germany or Spain those guys I met travelling kind of spoke anyway one or two sentences in English to get by like when you see even travellers speaking to each other um, let's say you see someone from I don't know Poland speaking to someone from uh, let's say Mexico they'll speak English because that's a kind of international language it's quite cool to see because it's kind of like the one thing they can rely on Um, because they also know they can speak to fellow backpackers and also um, tour operators or hotels or staff or stuff like that so um, in that area yeah I'll get around with a little phrase book and English really which is really bad to say post smartphone I have you can get apps these days Um, any sort of app for any language so if I was going to South America I'd have my Spanish and Portuguese apps and um, for various speaking countries there um, and also if you go to Tokyo I think we try to learn a few phrases and, and give it a go if you give it a go people appreciate that um, it comes across quite well as a, as a backpacker or as a traveller so yeah I think it's going to be hard because some countries in terms of like Asia are not going to have your it's a phonetic alphabet that we read and can understand some words in Spanish German or English it's going to be in their language in terms of how, it, how it's written so you're going to really have to be switched on and not be afraid to ask people um, because they generally will help you out so yeah I would have the phrase book and I'd also try and learn a language on the app just do 5 minutes each day maybe a week before you go or 10 minutes each day and just get some words in the memory that will help you out basic stuff like how do I get to there where is how much um, names of foods and drinks and you should be fine um, I still now know like 20, 30 words in Spanish just like directions and a bit of food a bit of drink um, how, how much is this like I can get that by kind of remembering what I learnt because I haven't really forgotten it even I don't use it every day so once you get that base in you won't forget it so that's kind of my answer to that and I also I think if you speak to locals they can tell you what what you should be asking Um, their fellow countrymen right so yeah that's kind of where I go for question two number three how do you find cheap flights Um, great question Um, people always have these theories like combining different apps and different websites etc etc but I would, if I was looking for a flight, I'd do a couple of things: Google Flights, Skyscanner, and also any late deals on the potential flight providers' website. Um, yeah, I would compare prices of all of those, trying to find flights, and also get to know your local airlines. Um, so everyone knows in the UK, you can go to somewhere in Europe for twenty pounds if you go with EasyJet. Um, same as Australia, uh, Tiger Air or something like that. Um, you can go and fly pretty cheap to other places, but we all know the expensive airlines. So, knowing your airlines is pretty key, uh, and also knowing your local airlines is going to help you out to save some money as well. So, I think they're kind of my go-to's. I think, um, and also when you compare prices, I think there's rumours that you know if you search too many times, it goes up in price. So maybe just whack on a VPN and put in a different country when you're searching so that you you don't get stung by that if that really is a thing. Um, So I would do that to make sure as well. But also kind of be ruthless about it um, because people will snap these flights up especially if it's not a popular route. Um, So I'd be ruthless about that. But also it's worth looking into round-the-world tickets if they exist anymore. Um, I'm not sure if they do in certain places because SCA travel, for example, don't exist. But those flexible round-the-world tickets where they get you from ma- major hubs is well worth the money just by the flexibility of it. So you can change the date and the time if you want to stay somewhere a bit longer. So they're definitely worth the value. Um, but yeah, Skyscanner, Google Flights, I think, are, you, are your go-tos for that. And local airlines. Um, to see what they've got on, the, on offer there as well. Um, always pay by credit card, don't forget. be covered by insurance. Um, and also um, try and do it in like kind of money you understand. Because I remember like booking flights in India and it's in rupees. And like, oh, I'm trying to work it out on my app. It's a bit stressful. So just doing US dollars or UK pounds um, so you don't get confused. Um, yeah, I think that's all I've got for question number three. On to number four. Yeah, number four is thoughts on travel post-COVID it's a great question and it's really hard to answer isn't it because every country um, is different in terms of how to dealt with it and where they're currently at so um, like for US example it's cracking on aren't they even the cases are still really high and vaccinations kind of stalled a little bit um, and here in Canada like we're now more double vaccinated than the US which is crazy to think how far behind we were at some point so um in those type of, I guess, richer Western countries, it's going to be possible. Um, Europe, for example, will probably get back to normal before anywhere else. Um, but yeah, I don't. In terms of time, so I think you know, if you win to get, if you want to get away ASAP, I think later this year, early next year is going to be your North America slash Europe when they bring a vaccine passports in. Um, that that will help things. Um, but I also, in terms of like backpacker type travel. I really don't know when we could go. It's going to be late next year, isn't it? Um, because it's hard to keep track. You don't know what each country is doing. So, if you plan to go to Brazil, for example, I mean, is that okay to go? Like, they're really bad at one point, but is it okay now? There's just so much um, stuff going on in the news that you just don't, you can't keep track, right? You've got to really do research on that. But in terms of what it would be like, um, I'd imagine um, it'd be almost like I hate using this word reset a little bit so it'll be I would imagine let's say Southeast Asia for example I just don't think it'd be as crazy as before I think there'd be slightly more rules you think maybe possibly um, not as, you know, not 40 bed dorms for example where they still exist I just can't see that happening um, especially in the near sort of short term future um, so I think those sort of like gung-ho backpacker type Traveler routes will be less busy, um, less crazy. But I reckon the locals will be more appreciative of maybe tourists returning because they they won't be overcrowded with them. Um, but they still will bring an income to them. So I think it'd be a good time to travel. And it's all going to be based on fear, isn't it? When are people really going to start venturing out again? Um, I don't see us doing it until late next year, early the year after um, of those sort of countries. Um, in terms of like um, South America Africa or Middle East or sort of like East Asia Um, but then I don't know Australia, New Zealand they they keep closing borders at one case it's ridiculous so if they keep that up then you're never going to be able to go there so I don't really know um, how and when we're going to get there and what it's going to look like but I can imagine it's going to go back to kind of give you a time period like maybe late 2000s that sort of era where it's kind of on the rise but not the levels of maybe like when I went 5 or 6 years ago like crowded with tourists um again I think it'll be kind of like a good time to go because you won't feel like it's generic it's more specific at that point because people are probably not going there so yeah I'd look forward to that and I'd take advantage of that if you can because um, I'd love to go back to some of the countries that I've seen and not see the horde of tourists that I, I saw when I was there and I was one of them of course so I, I think post-COVID will be interesting um, double vaccinated people will be only there to travel I imagine um, hence the COVID passports coming in so I think that would be a big thing um, I think the COVID vaccine if you've not had it will become a requirement of a country like uh, rabies for example so yeah I think that's where it'll go. Um, I could be less busy, less pricey as well, um, but also, yeah, real like chance to really go out there and and not and not be generic. Yeah, looking forward to that. So, question number five: How to start planning a big trip? Fantastic question. That um, done it a few times. Um, I would consider a big trip anything longer than a month. Um, yeah, because anything less than a month is an holiday. So, big trip that is going to be different for a lot of people. But what I would start with is your aims. Is there a place? Is a a skill you want to learn? Is there an experience you want to have for two weeks or two months? Is a a language you want to learn? You need to figure out what your aim is and base it around that. So, if we go away again on a big trip, for example, I've got a few things that I want to achieve. So, one of them, they're going to be quite random, so bear with me. One of them is I want to learn how to be a barista and roast coffee. So, I'm willing to spend however long it takes to get the basic knowledge of that uh, wherever in the world. I don't care where it is. So, that's like an aim. So, I know for like that month, I'll be doing that. And then I want to learn Spanish in a Spanish-speaking country. So I know that are probably going to spend about four to six weeks in one place, probably somewhere in Central or South America There's that option. Um, so I now know that I need to put those into my trip. Um, but also, it probably integrates into the areas of the world you want to go to, Right so if I'm what we would probably go to Central and South America for a time period don't know take your time On the rules from last week but yeah so I would probably want to start somewhere like probably Mexico I think okay I need to land in Mexico land in Mexico City great city to go go to and check out so I would like okay so I land in Mexico City but I'm a quite a fluid traveller so I wouldn't want to book anything else too much um, but I would predict how long we'd be there for. Um, so yeah, you get your you get, you get your big world map out, you get your notes, pen and paper or your e notes. Like, right, Mexico, I think we'll be here a month. Okay, and then down through to Central America. You look at the map. You go, ah, oh, I need, need to go through that point, this point, and just write, ru- just make a rough itinerary. This is not set in stone. Just put the country, maybe how you are going to get from one country to another, period of time you are going to be there. And an offshoot of that, if you've got time, which you will have as you come closer, what you want to do in that country and what you want to see. So when you start planning a big trip, you're like, oh, yeah, I want to go to there. But also give yourself like a buffer time zone. So you're like, oh, okay, well, we've got an extra two weeks there in case you want to go to this place. Because like I say, you need to be flexible on your trip. You might get offered a recommendation whilst there. So, yeah, write your countries down, write your aims down, write your goals. Um, And then, yeah, kind of like give a buffer for time and then try and work your way down the map um, if you're going to be like travelling by bus. I guess plane works as well. So that's how I plan like Central South America. Like In Mexico, probably exit Buenos Aires or Rio. That's probably my exit point at some point. And in between, I've got this rough itinerary of where we're going, um, but not be too like, set in stone with it, be a bit fluid with it. And then beside all that, um, you need to write your budget down. So... This requires a bit of research online. You can research each country by budget and how much things cost, etc. I think there's a website called Budget My Trip. I think it's called that, where you can get a rough idea of a a budget, a medium budget, and then also a high budget. And it gives you like a rough idea of price of what you need. Again, always go 15, 20% more than what it says. So you've got a little buffer in terms of money. Um, but also you'll have your written down costs of those aims. So if you're doing like a barista course and a roasting course, you know how much that's gonna cost. If you're doing a two month Mai Thai boot camp in Philippines or Thailand, right, that's gonna cost that amount of money and that amount of time. So you get your aims and your prices, and then you work your budget around obviously your food accommodation, your travel, and you start to come up with like a list of places, a list of time, how long you'll be there, and a list of price. Um And then you start start to refine it as you do more research. And then in terms of money, you save for how much that stays on that sheet, but also a little bit more. And then, yeah, yeah, I guess you probably need to then book your ticket in, your flight in um, from London to Mexico City, for example. And then um, I would wait for the ticket out because you don't know how long you're going to be in one place or where you're going to be. But you probably know you're going to be somewhere last, right? Um, so that's how I'd probably start planning the big trip I think and also I'd look into um, kind of like insurance and all the safety protocols and you get make sure you get your credit cards sorted and the debt's paid off and um, you check your gear um, for all kinds of activities that you might be doing um, south, Central South America is a great one because you're going through the equator but you also might go right down south to Patagonia so You're going to need to pack for those type of weathers. Um, Get your gear together. Yeah. And then it's that button, isn't it? When you press that button, buy flight or book that tour. Because once you book one of those things in, if you have one tour, a two-week tour through Costa Rica, you book with a company, which is absolutely fine. If you book that tour in, you're you're committed then, aren't you? And then that's that's the biggest step, is committing to that flight. Of course, you can always change your mind. But there. Yeah, once you do that first click of the button to confirm a transaction of that trip, you're then in. So that's kind of how I would go about a big trip. I think, from my previous experience, in terms of I'm giving you experience of what I would be doing in Central South America for my last trip to Southeast Asia and South America, I just booked a flight in and booked a flight out and had that set period of time and went with the flow. Um, rough idea of what I wanted to see, but took recommendations from people. That's kind of where I stood with that. And uh, we did a lot of stuff that was not in the plan. Um, yeah, I guess that's kind of where i go with that. Um, yeah, let's move on to the next question. Tips for safe travelling for women. Another great question. Um, bit weird for me answering it being a male. White male speaks English. I can't really re- relate to that. Um, but I'll do my best from what I've heard from women who have travelled uh, I think I mentioned previously that um, it can be scary um, and trust issues are basically men, men are pretty shit sometimes so yeah it's, you've got to trust your instincts I guess as a woman um, in terms of situations, I mean, does it feel right? if it doesn't, probably get out but it all depends on the country you travel to as well but then there's going to be idiots everywhere you go um, but from what I've heard from my friends it's been a pretty positive experience and not as scary as you think I mean it baffled me that I saw and we met people in India um, like women travelling on their own which is crazy India's not like a you you have to be careful but um, it is you would think from the stuff you heard from the media like some of the awful stuff that's happened there with women on buses and stuff like that that it might be a bit scary but fair play to them they were out there doing it Um, but they did have some stories unfortunately so They took as many precautions as possible. Um, But I think... Key to this is kind of... Meeting backpackers... Or fellow travellers... In the places that you stay. Um, And maybe just trying to be transparent... And have a communication line with those people. In case you really need help. Because people normally travel around in the same circles... and the same routes. So... I'd have that communication line open. um, And also... Try and be kind of like accustomed to the local rules as well. And whether that's what you wear or what you should do, what you should say. And then also try and trust locals as well that you think are trustworthy because ultimately in a country, they are the ones who know what to do. So I think my friends had friends that are backpackers, but also friends that are locals. And it kind of made them feel a bit safe. Um, the typical stuff don't travel around alone at night um, if you can in certain places um, just have your wits about you if it feels dodgy it's probably years, Um and also travel in group if you want to or join other backpackers who are soloing as well uh, but obviously you travel solo for a reason so I don't feel you have to do that but that could be a good um, like three or four weeks break from maybe even a little bit of pressure on yourself to always be alert Um another way of not really having to worry about that is booking if you're solo on your own but booking on a tour so you go with um, a tour group um, like SCA would do like their sort of like student type it's 18 to 31 32 um, tours um, where they have a group of people going the same things and direction as, a, as the rest of you so yeah that's a possible way of doing it as well um, but yeah I, it's hard for me to answer because I'm not a woman who's travelling on her own, but I think there's a lot of content online now to read about that sort of stuff. So yeah, you could do a bit of research on Google and you'll find some blogs about that. Um Yeah, there's there's great there's great stuff available on Instagram as well. Um yeah, check those out. And last question is travel fatigue. Um Yeah, I think we have been well, I've definitely had this before. Travel fatigue. And there's there's a few things you can do just to uh, mitigate those sort of circumstances. Um, I remember my friend Scott was telling me a story that he met someone in Bangkok who was travelling at that point, (laughs) like a ridiculous amount of time, like three or four years or something like that. And they've been pretty non-stop. But he arrived in Bangkok to only do one thing, and that's just buy a second-hand... I think like a Nintendo or PS1 or something like that and a TV and just play computer games for two or three weeks and just stay somewhere for that period of time. No thought on travel, no thought where to go next. Just had to have that break. Um, But on a smaller scale, um, yeah, you could book in like a three day tour where you didn't. You basically get told what to do. Um, You turn up, enjoy the tour, enjoy the sights and the people and you don't have to worry about travel or planning and so tours are a great way to break it up and whether they're one, two two or three days or two or three weeks I'm definitely looking into that also another great way if you're away for a period of time is to have like one week or relative to that in one place and really see a city for what it's worth instead of dipping in two days why not get an Airbnb or stay at a hostel for a week and really go to town in the city and just stay somewhere chuck your backpack down No worry about packing or where to go next. You're there for a week. You just got to go around the city and put no pressure on it. Um, You could go and drink coffee for a week. Something like that is definitely a great way to do it. Um, I'm also a big fan of doing like those real high intensity activities like a a summit climb or a skydive and then relaxing for a period of time because you get to appreciate both sides of it. So, yeah, I would sort of have that yin yang feel to your travel where you're doing something really like out there out of your comfort zone and then you're you in one place for like a week chilling out um, yeah so I think travel fatigue can also be sort of mitigated by what I mentioned earlier about having an aim so if you're two months backpacking around you're like up and every day, right. Like, day we're going here, we're going there, we're booking this, we're doing this and at the end of the two months you do a Mai Tai course like that's your relief right no more planning you're just doing a course of two weeks bit of fitness and you're doing that so those type of aims can really break your trip up as well um yeah and also don't be afraid to stop for a bit people think you have to get everything in all the time in quick time it's no rush take your time one of the key elements of last week that i've learned that i shared on my podcast yeah take take your time um don't feel it's a bucket list operation just Feel like you can do one thing and and accept you're not going to see it all, so I think travel fatigue is definitely about it's a bit of a privilege, isn't it? Um, if you if you're at that level at that level, so um, yeah, just be more appreciative of what you're doing and take the time to chill out for a bit. So I think that's my Instagram story questions I have. Thanks to everyone who submitted them. I think it's a couple months ago now. And I'll try and do more of these as we go on, but probably just do like a short video, one or two minutes on Instagram and try and get that going as well. I'm still trying to get into that space of regularly videoing myself, which I don't particularly like, but I will learn to love it. So based on that, safe travels. Um, hope you've got some exciting plans in the pipeline and I'd love to hear from you. So please get in contact and I'm hoping to get a few more guests on next. So done a few solo episodes. I'm going to start pushing my guests to come on and we'll get some recorded stuff for the next few weeks. Um, I'm actually away next few weekends as well, so I'm not sure how logistically it's going to be. Um, but, yeah, we'll we'll test that out. But, yeah, have fun, stay safe, and I'll catch you soon. Ciao. Thank you for listening to my Winging Neck podcast today. You can check out my website, jameshummond.org, for all the links to all the platforms for your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google, and Spotify. There's a contact form on the homepage for you to get in contact for anything you want me to discuss to do with travelling. Don't forget to check out my Instagram page, James Hammond Travel, where I post daily about my last 10 years of travelling, travelling and more travelling. Finally, please rate the podcast. I really appreciate it if you can rate it. Leave some comments and I'd love to read them. Stay safe, happy listening, happy reading and be inspired.